quick spoiler alert. So spoiler alert, I feel like maybe I insert audio or a sound effect so you know it's a spoiler alert. I don't know if spoiler alerts have sound effects, but now I'm going to insert a sound now. This is just your warning that we are going to be talking about FX's The Bear, which you can see on Hulu, two seasons of which are there, you can see. We're going to be talking about the show and also some characters, and so I just highlight there's some spoilers, and I encourage you to check out those episodes, and then come back and join us. Or you can listen to this and be spoiled, and then go and watch the show and see it from a different perspective. It's like watching a movie and then reading the book or reading the book and then seeing the movie. Maybe our interpretation will be upsetting to you. I mean, I've seen it like three times, so it's not going to be a problem if they watch it again and spoilers, it's fine. I invited two special guests to join us on this episode. Unfortunately, both of those declined. So, so instead, we have my good friend and colleague and manager of team development here at High Five, Lisa Hunt. And we also have Chris Ortiz, who needs no introduction, if you already know him, and plenty of introduction, if you don't know who he is. Associate Director, Program Director of Team Development at Shavers Creek at Penn State. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Lisa, for joining us here today. Happy to be the backup plan, Phil, for... Now it's like, the who could I have invited? It could have, it could have been Jeremy, Jeremy Allen, Allen White. White. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> he declined to join us. So we are talking about the wonderful show we have all watched and Gold got very excited about and then immediately texted each other and said, we've got to talk about this, The Bear, and its relationship to the work that we do in team development and group dynamics. So let us just first by talking about like some broad strokes. Chris, what excited you when you watched this in relationship to the work that we get to do? I think it's from a facilitator standpoint as you watch any show, but in particular this one, and you see the character interaction and sort sort of reading the group and seeing tipping points in relationships, sort of as you follow character story arcs, different pieces. It was very reminiscent of how I felt when I was watching Ted Lasso, just seeing these character arcs and, and group dynamics develop between the characters. I also love to cook. So that was a whole aside. I was hooked right away. But this between the group dynamics and the inter social interaction stuff that you see in the setting of a kitchen is you know just a really interesting thing. So I'm looking at it from that perspective of characters' interactions and, and finding those moments when they have those tipping points or those key relationship pieces. Yeah. What about you, Lisa? I love your use of the term tipping point, Chris. And I think one of the things that really hooked me on the show right off the bat was that the characters are super complex. It only took a few episodes to begin to see changes in people. And I think as it relates to our work as facilitators, I could relate to having a first impression of somebody and then being impatient and making that first impression stick and how wrong I am. Or if I could sort of wait around and like see everybody has like a lot of dimensions and are, are often not who they first present or maybe through learning through us or through life can sort of change. And so I, I think it's the, what really got me was the exact, the characters and almost opposite from you, Chris, I know nothing about restaurants. I know nothing about kitchens. So I was absolutely fascinated with the, the language and the vocabulary. And I love when there's a common shared language that I can almost be an observer of. 
that was really fascinating to me too. How about you, Phil? My wife's maiden name is Ursalisi. She comes from like an Italian family. And there was so much about the family aspect of it. You know, even the language around like the, the, the restaurant, I didn't really understand. But like the dynamics of that of that family unit, Kami and Richie's interactions, and then uh, Fax interactions, like Neil's interactions with the family and the friends with the family. And there's a specific episode in the second season. I reflect as well on what you mentioned, Lisa. There were a couple of characters early on, uh, specifically uh, Richie and Tina, who I had massive dislike for early on. I do reflect like the, the the first impressions that you sometimes make, and I've made with groups that I've worked with of like, ugh, oh, this is a tough person, or people that I've worked with, or like, you know, where it just suddenly like there's a switch and a change. And I would say of any characters, I would for me personally, I would say Richie is probably the one that I enjoyed the most just because I think I hated him so much, <laughs> you know, like it's like, Oh my God, why do people put up with him? That was my initial response early on in the show. And just to see that change was kind of really excitingly dramatic for me. Phil, you could delete this part, but I wonder if our listeners would benefit from just like a 10 second description of the show. Should we do that? I've got a, like a quick synopsis it says in short, the bear is about a young chef, Kami who inherits his family's Italian beef sandwich shop after the suicide of his older brother, Michael. I think that's an, there's an important distinct uh, piece there as well. And that he moves back from Chicago after leaving the world as a Michelin star and then has to re-enter that world of family after escaping it for so many years. There's the opening sequence maybe in the first episode where you see a bear in a cage. Kami's kind of inner workings He's, you know, it's in his head, this bear caged up, which is integral to the whole story arc. Uh, Chris, as I mentioned, the bear in the cage, you kind of like sprung up into excitement. So I'm going to jump over to you. I don't know why I just caught. I Like I said, I've watched this show probably four times through, maybe five with various people in my life. And I just caught the symbolism of the final scenes of episode 10 of season two when he's trapped and the opening scenes of the bear in the cage in the first episode like the book ending of those two i don't know why i never saw it i never saw that until just you used to just said it when he's stuck in the walk-in yeah i don't know there's just there's something there for sure that there's some symbolism that they again just like in ted lasso i feel like there's very few things in the show that aren't intentionally done you know like there's all these little Easter eggs that you can watch it over and over again, and then you're going to catch more and more and more details. But no, that was a great synopsis. That's good. Something I would just, I'm intrigued by your perspective because we've all watched as well Ted, Ted Lasso. So we're all fans of that show. When I was watching The Bear, I had this response to the fact that I thought it, it kind of diminished my opinion of Ted Lasso a little bit and not in a, like a massive, like, oh, now I dislike Ted Lasso, but I felt the the bear and their take on group dynamics and stuff was a more real interpretation of an experience than Ted Lasso. I think Ted Lasso has some incredible lessons and there's like so many articles out there on like the leadership dynamics and the of what Ted Lasso does for his team, but it's centered around like an almost fictional notion of or an elevated experience of this soccer team, this football team. And it's like not as easy to put yourself in the position of you, you can't embody some of the roles. Whereas when I watched the bear, 
I was feeling like I was having more emotional responses to seeing different situations because I felt like it was real and it was, it was centered around a lot of darkness. I kind of appreciate that you, I don't think you would get in Ted Lasso. You've got it. Certainly there's any arcs of like mental health and stuff that appear in Ted Lasso. This just felt raw in a way that I think if people watch it, I've interacted with people who've watched it, who were kind of like struggled to watch episodes, you know, like, what are your two thoughts on like Ted Lasso versus the bear? I don't know. We need to compete, but no, no, but I, I think Ted Lasso doesn't let you sit in uncomfortability for very long. Like they, there was, I felt a lot of, you know, I would watch a Ted Lasso episode and I would cry and I would laugh out loud and I would have all this emotional roller coaster. but it, it, it was a very curated experience of sort of, um, I don't want to say, cause this is going to belittle like Disney Disneyfied, but like, there is there is a fiction to Ted Lasso where you can sort of suspension of disbelief. This may not happen this way in real life. It's too clean in some ways, and the bear is raw and like lets you sit in this anguish for sometimes an uncomfortable amount of time, where you're really feeling like, oh my gosh, I really feel this character's pain or anguish. And I mean, even to the end of like, again, we're not going to do too many spoilers necessarily make, we're going to try, but the end of season two is like just sort of heart wrenching. You're just watching all of this stuff. You just don't know like where are they, I don't know. You just sit in it for a little bit longer. I, that's how I see the difference between the two. So you gotta be, you gotta be comfortable sitting in that uncomfortable place, which is real. Like how many of us have had difficult conversations or difficult interactions, they don't just magically resolve in in some way. They they it takes work and effort, and I think you see a little bit more of that work or effort in the bear. Yeah, I totally agree with what you both just said. It, you know, we don't need to draw the comparisons out too much, but I, I will just add. Yeah, the the reason that I think of Ted Lasso and the Bear in this conversation is those are the only two TV series that I've watched finished and then went right back and started to watch again in my adult life. And so that's why to me they're compared. But I think the only other thing I would add to what you both have said to this part of the conversation is that we're all much more likely to step into a kitchen than we are into a professional soccer pitch. So I think there's just something a little bit more like we could place ourselves in a kitchen for me more easily than in in you know a, a football club in England. So I, it's just a little bit more available. Why do you think that, you know, people listening to this and if they haven't seen it, what would be your pitch to people in our industry or around why they should see it beyond that? Oh, it's a good TV show. Oh, I want to hear what Chris has to say about this. I mean, I can go, but Chris, I'm, I'm so eager for your response. Well, so, I mean, a lot of what I've been doing now, because I'm, you know, I'm teaching college students and, and training facilitators as we do. This is a classic place, I think, for you to practice and stretch that observation muscle of when you're working with groups and being observant of dynamics that deserve attention and reflection and processing and further delving into things. I mean, how many times do we do a program assessment with a manager of a team and then we create a program and then when the group is actually in front of you, we see something, they're like, oh, we actually need to talk about that. And so watching the bear, I'm like watching it through that lens of a facilitator, you can really just start to see, oh, wow, that right there would be a thing that this kitchen staff needs to put some energy and focus on. And oh, that character's not paying attention to that. And that's, you know, and so you're sort of seeing this uh, 
you know, Carmi as maybe the du- the director of the program, as you know, the, the executive chef, so to speak, of this restaurant. What is he missing? What is he not paying? Attention? You know, I don't know. So I think about that from that lens. That's why it's intriguing to me. I think from a or other facilitators might enjoy the show is to be a student of the group dynamics and practice that a little. I love that observation muscle. That's such a great a great expression. Lisa, you're you're working with a faculty group called Educator Cohort, and you sent it was like a Google questionnaire around different facilitation styles. You introduced an activity in different ways, and you asked people to say how they would feel and how they would interact in that activity had the facilitator phrase those activities in that way. What you would, I think, in alignment was coaching around was observation, right? Like, how do we? This is another analysis of our industry. Rather than saying, like, don't do this, do this, I think I think an advanced level of facilitation is that ability to be able to look at a, a way that someone deals with stuff and, and, and pick up the minutia of the way that we interact with our groups and how leaders work. And that's what I really got excited about when I was watching the show is there's a lot of little pieces there I think could get lost from someone who's looking at it from the lens of just a TV show or, you know, the, the uncomfortable with emotion side. And where I can look at stuff and like, wow, the way that Richie did this in this episode or the way that Sid interacted with this person, what did Sid do to Tina to, you know, like these kind of moments, those are the parts that I got excited about and was texting back and forth with people. I would love for for you both to talk about this concept that I just thought of. This is not in our sort of back and forth before individual expression versus conformity. And as it relates to our work, sort of instructor preference, for example, versus standard operating procedure. And I think about all the places in the kitchen in both seasons where there was almost a move toward conformity, but then the the real important need of allowing for individual expression too, like the from their first system to the French brigade, for example. Do you see relevance in our collective work in that sort of intersection between personal expression and choice and where we need to do that in a way that takes into account the needs of everybody else. Yeah. It's interesting. The parallel that I'm drawing from that is, so when you have organizations that have a lack of structure that you're working with, you know, or skill set, you know, assessment and those sorts of things, and they need to be drawn into line. And then once you get that conformity to systems that are, are, are needed for industry standards, then you can open up that door to personal choice in programming. But if you if you have the other one first, which is kind of what the kitchen was like in this show in the beginning, it's chaos and it, it's dangerous and it's got lots of problems and it's very difficult in that way. And then once they come into an alignment, it's almost like they've they've adopted the standards. They the everybody's bought into the standards for a challenge course industry. Then the instructors have that latitude to to make some decisions programmatically, but they're doing it within a system already. And so you remove the the actual risk that is there when somebody gets stabbed in the kitchen. I don't know. I'm, I'm talking back and forth between facilitating on the show, but I think sort of that those are those parallels and the resistance to adopting, and I know, Phil, you've had some custom trainings recently where this has been a little bit of a thing. 
I just came back from a training where I had a member of staff say, I've been doing this longer than you've been alive, which perfectly ties into something that Tina in the show says to Sid. She's, she says that very phrase, I've been in this kitchen longer than you've been alive. I think that that level of resistance, we experience a lot as you know trainers in challenge courses, and I'm always I'm going to be talking from the lens of that. There was a lot of like that resistance when I went into the site because they had we had had training in a long time. I talked about narrowing their local operating procedures to create a little bit of like level playing field when it came to skill sets. We refined some skills, and honestly, by the end they were so on board because what it allowed them to do is kind of negate the stress of, you know, these are the things I have to worry about. And they could be more authentic in the areas that were more creative. Like, oh, how do we create design? Like, how do I engage my participants? What do I do to encourage more climbing? And those kind of things. They got more excited about that because we narrowed their focus on what they needed to care about when it came to their, like the standard operating procedures. And we see it so clearly in the show where it goes from that chaotic world that they're dealing with to like, oh, you're making me do what? I have to do this. That's not what I've done for years. And in the end, they can be suddenly more creative and pay attention to their clients and pay attention to the customers coming in and create a better customer service product in the restaurant. In the case of Tina in particular, like those moments where you could see her like really sort of finding that that she could take pride in her craft and feel great about that. Like that was one of my favorite threads. That's sort of her her pride in her work. Yeah, to your point earlier, Phil, was just that the whole, um, when somebody says that, like, I've been doing this longer than you've been alive. It's like, yeah, practice makes permanent. Doesn't make it, practice makes perfect was, the, you know, the phrase I heard as a kid, but they're practicing these skills over and over again wrong, potentially. And so just because you've been doing it for decades, you you maybe have really, really perfected an improper practice. And so here we are to try to create some alignment so you can have that proper practice in place. It's a really, that's the resistance to change, right? I've always done it this way. It's always been fine. Great. Well, let's, let's get you past fine and into something better. Awesome. So we've kind of talked broad strokes here and I'm in the, in the same way that uh, season two, the last episode ends us in a way that leaves us wanting more in an, in a way that's also level, also a level of frustration. We're going to end this kind of intro episode here, as you heard, facilitators getting really excited about the topic of the bear. To tease what is going to be coming up in the in future episodes, we're going to be kind of breaking down kind of character arcs. We're going to be talking about some specific episodes and tying them into the work that we get to do. So at this stage, you've probably listened to this and maybe you haven't ever seen the show. This is your opportunity to go binge all of that and borrow your uh, sign-in details from your friends for who have a Hulu account. And if you don't, to be able to watch the episodes, get really excited about it, and then join us again. And if you've already seen the show, then absolutely just click into the next episode the following week uh, because we're going to be talking about this in greater detail. Thanks for being here. Thanks to my wonderful friends, Chris and Lisa. And uh, I'll see you on the next one. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playcast. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try Thanks for giving. I think I'll pass the guy. <laughs> <laughs>